Good morning. In the month of March, we're going to be looking at what we're calling our, our holy history. It's the idea that the stories in the, especially the Old Testament scriptures, are not there just to be uh, delightful coloring sheets through the years, but are also there to shape the way we view ourselves and all of history uh, and our purpose going forward into the future. It's based on the premise taught to us in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, that whatsoever things were written in former days were written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That all of these stories are there to give us some sense of what God is doing in the world. Or as we said it last week, history reminds us of the past, defines us in the present, and prepares us for what's to come in God's future. Last time, we started with the story of Adam, and we talked about the history of sin. We asked the question, what's wrong with the world? What went sideways in the long, long history of mankind? And we started with the story of Adam and a decision that was made that all of us have been haunted by ever since. And then we ended with the good news of Jesus Christ, how that Jesus is our, our second Adam, our truer and better Adam, an Adam who is going to reverse uh, the consequence of sin from the beginning. Today, we, we come to the same Old Testament with a slightly different story, a uh, different question rather. And today we wanna know, what is our role in history? What is our part in God's project? And here's what we mean by that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Sounds familiar. God makes a universe, he puts us in it. He is clearly doing something, okay? He didn't ask me, who has given counsel to the Lord? Wasn't that song, right? He didn't ask my opinion, Ben, I was thinking about creating a universe. What do you think about that? Nope, not the way it goes. God created the universe and he had within himself an eternal and meaningful purpose that he intends to work out in his creation. And then he makes us and he puts us in there. And according to yesterday, so far all that we've managed to do is kind of mess it up. We haven't done a great job of things. So what is it we're supposed to be doing in whatever it is God's doing? That's today's question. And the answer to that comes from another piece of holy history. I think probably the best answer is from the story of Abraham and the history of faith. When we think about Abraham, the story, uh, there may be several stories that come to mind. Probably, um, if you grow up going to Bible school or something like that, the one that sticks with you and is kind of haunting is the one depicted in this little image, if you can see it, called the Binding of Isaac, where Isaac uh, is Abraham's one and only son and promised heir, a son that would be the future of his legacy. And God says, I want you to offer your son to me. And God sends Abraham and Isaac up the mountain, and Abraham is prepared to do that. And we think, wow, what kind of faith is required to listen to God and be willing to even consider that kind of action? It's, again, a haunting tale that has lots of questions. So, of course, I'm not going to talk about that at all today. What we're going to do is back up before that. Like, that's the pinnacle of the life of Abraham. Like, everything seems to be aimed towards that story. But we want to know what led up to that and what makes Abraham the father of the faithful and our role model today in our part in God's story. And for that, we back all the way up to Genesis chapter 12. 
In Genesis chapter 12, it starts simply with the voice of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So the first thing we want to recognize in this particular text is nearly everything you need to know about our part in the story is in this verse. Believe it or not, it could be a really short sermon if we, if we did it right. Everything we need to know is actually in this verse. And that is, our part in the story of God begins with recognizing it's God's story. God takes the initiative. God speaks. This is not a story about a tremendously good idea that Abram had one time. This is not a story about a particularly brilliant endeavor, an enterprise that he launched or a nation that he built of his own volition. This is not a story about Abraham. In a sense, Abraham's barely in it. The story begins with God speaking and saying, this is how the story's going to go, Abram. Abram, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go over here because that's the next chapter in the story. And what does Abraham do our friend Abram, what does he do in verse 1? Nothing. Okay? I told you, this is the best part of the story. All Abram does in verse 1 is listen to what God said. D- don't make this more complicated than it is. Truth is, when we talk about God's story and our place in it, the very first thing that all of us need to recognize is that it is his story and we are looking for a place in it, but we are not the main characters. The very first thing we have to learn is what Abram apparently knew in verse 1. God speaks, and we listen. i got to tell you, if we could get that one right, nearly every other sermon gets shorter, right? Because that's, that's the problem, is that we don't listen, and we're really bad at it. And we think that solving the problems of the universe really falls on our shoulders. We need to do something about it. And instead, we aren't listening to what it is God has to say. Lots of speaking going on. I've been on Facebook, right? Yeah, lots of talking going on. I've I've surfed through the, the cable channels. Lots of talking going on. Not very much listening. And definitely not very much listening to God. Everything, almost everything we need to know about the answer to our role in history comes from that one little verse where God says, hey, do this, and Abraham just hears it. And that is our first part in God's story. Verse 2, equally important. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Three-part promise from God. The first of which, usually you start small and, and, and work your way up, The first of which is, I'm going to shape human history around you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're wondering what your future holds, Abram. You don't know what the future holds for you and what your life and family will become. God says, I am the author of history, and I am telling you now, I am going to create a nation built on you, built on this promise. And if that's promise one, you think, where do we go from there? What's promise number two? I'm going to make your name great. Not only is a nation going to be built on you, they're going to know it. You're not going to be some forgotten ancestor that somewhere had a page in the story that might have mattered, but no one ever remembers. Abraham, they're going to remember you forever. Abraham of March of 2023, some guy's going to get up and preach a sermon about you. 
They're going to be talking about Abraham forever and ever, as long as there are people on the earth. First a nation, and then a legacy. Okay, if that's the second promise, where do we go from there? The third is, I am going to bless you so much that you yourself will be a blessing for others. Once upon a time, I had a preaching mentor who said um, that Bible study is the most important part of sermon delivery. And he would say, preaching's like a rain bucket. And you fill it up, and what f- flows over the top is your sermon. Right? You fill it up, and you preach from the overflow. And actually, that's a pretty good metaphor for the life that God is promising Abram. Abram, I'm going to pour so much blessing into you that you yourself become a blessing to others, that it's going to pour over the sides of your barrel, that it won't be able to be contained, that again, all people everywhere will know themselves as blessed by the blessing of Abram. Not bad, right? As promises go, going to shape human history, going to be a remarkable person that will never be forgotten, and will be remembered in a good way, right? There's lots of people who are remembered for terrible things. You're going to be remembered because through you, some blessing flowed out through all of human history. What was Abram's role in that? Just like in verse 1, his role on the surface is almost nothing. Abram has no lines in this verse. There is no action described. Abram, I need you to go build a great nation. No. God blesses, we trust. Abraham is not given a great project. He is given a great blessing. See a trend here? Don't overthink it. What is our role in God's story? God speaks, we listen. God blesses, we trust. We are the recipients of the story, not the authors of it. And then because of that, we will know what to do next. Verse 4 now is almost a foregone conclusion, and so Abram went as the Lord told him. If you listened when God spoke and you trusted when God blessed, then what happens next is a foregone conclusion. You know exactly what to do. Well, God said go over there, and so I go over there. That's it. That should be, and I wish it were, and I know you do too, I wish it was the end of the sermon, right? Five-minute sermon on Abraham, no problem. We're going to sing 15 verses of trust and obey, and we'll all go home, right? And that'll be it. Because we were able to trust, he was also able to obey, and that's the end. And I, I can't overemphasize how truly true that is. The answer to the question, what is our role in God's story? Listen when he speaks, trust when he blesses, go where he points. That's it. Now, of course, the reason the sermon isn't over, and the, well, it's because I have to talk more, but the reason it's not over is because for all of us, we know that that is always easier said than done. In principle, if I say, everybody trust God, see you next week, I mean, that'd be great. But in real life, life happens, and our trust is challenged. And so it did with Abram. If you start there, right, verse 4 is a high point. God said, go, Abraham went. But things get messy after that. One of the places he went 
was Egypt in Genesis chapter 12. And while he's in Egypt, his trust is put to the test. And if you read chapter 12, he doesn't do especially well. In fact, at a moment where he could have said, I trust God, he's going to bless me, he decides to take matters into his own hands. He comes up with a little scheme, it's a little lying, a little half-truth here and there, uh, playing, dare with, uh, playing chicken with Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, uh, with his wife as the stakes. It's not a pretty story, right? And Abraham comes away looking a little blemished. He didn't trust God especially well. Chapter 13, he has turmoil with his family. It's one thing for Abram to trust God, but what about Lot? What about my servants and Lot's servants? What about the different groups in this family that have to get along? Because I trust God, everybody gets along suddenly? No, it doesn't work that way. And so it got messy, and he had turmoil. And then in chapter 14, an actual war breaks out. Everybody always skips chapter 14. An actual war breaks out, and Abram is in the middle of, you know, political and martial turmoil, an actual battle is fought with lives at stakes and lives lost. And so what started with, well, just listen to God and trust him, passes through all of this. And that's where the scene picks up then in chapter 15. Chapter 15 in verse 1 begins with these words, after these things, what things? The things I just told you about. See, in between, trust God, and chapter 15 was life. Failure in Egypt, turmoil with family, wars and rumors of war. Right? And trust has been weakened. And so after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So what does God do? He, he restarts the story again. Remember, how do we start? God speaks, we listen, we move on. So God knows. Abram had a shaky couple of chapters there in this story, quite literally. Let's go back and let's rebuild trust. Abram, don't be afraid. Abram, I'm still your shield. And for what it's worth, if I can be nerdy for just a moment, that last phrase in the English Standard Version is mistranslated horribly. I don't believe the Hebrew there says, uh, your reward will be very great. I think it's a first-person singular statement. I am your very great reward, as I'm quite positive what God says. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Abram, what you're looking for is not out there somewhere for you to go find it. What you're looking for is me. The God who promises, the God who blesses, is the reward. And he's still there. And nothing changed that. Egypt didn't change that. Failure didn't change that. Turmoil didn't change that. Nothing changed that. Don't be afraid. I'm still your shield. I'm still your reward. Everything is right where we left it in chapter 12. God speaks, and we listen. Right? Except, of course, we don't. But Abraham said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. See how this is different? It's the same but different as chapter 12. Chapter 12, God speaks. Abraham says, nothing. Chapter 15, God speaks. Abraham says, yeah, but. I know that's what you said. I know it's the same thing you said last time. But, doesn't seem like it. Everybody know what the word but means? If you, don't, 
you don't have children, you don't know. But if you have children, you know. The word but means nothing else that has been said up to this point matters. Right? Yeah, I was going to do that, but like that whole other half of the sentence was irrelevant. Now just this part is what matters. Fear not, I'm your very great reward. Yeah, so what are you going to give me? Like, it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. It seems like I'm failing. It seems like I'm struggling. It seems like a literal war broke out. And you're telling me, don't be afraid. I'm your very great reward. In fact, he says, the centerpiece of what should be the promise you made for me, you want to give me a great nation. I don't have a son. I don't know if you know how biology works. But before you can have lots of kids and lots of grandkids and lots of great-great-grandkids, you have to have one, right? You have to start somewhere. Abraham says, not only do I not see a great nation, not only do I not see my name being great, not only do I not bless all the world, not only do I not have a great family, I don't have the first one yet. It's been three chapters. See, the story's moving along. What do we see here in Abraham? Abraham, just like us. God speaks, but we don't always listen. Second time around, first time around, we applaud Abraham. Good job. You listened. Second time around, he's got some words to say back. And unlike chapter 12, he kind of politely, but he talks back to God. He says, how about that? Doesn't seem like it's going so well. So in chapter th or 15, verse 3, God says, behold, I'm sorry, rather, Abraham to God says, behold, you have given me no offspring. I don't have the very first child yet. And that was the centerpiece of the blessing. God blesses, but we don't often trust. Okay. So everything Abraham did right in chapter 12, he has now done wrong in chapter 15, which is why this is not a five-minute sermon. Because life happens. And once upon a time, we all get it right. I mean, I think for a lot of people here this morning, I'm just guessing, at some point in your life, you trusted God. I'm guessing. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never in your life trusted in God and this is a new thing for you. And that's possible and I'm talking to you too. But for a lot of people here this morning, at some point in your life you trusted God and then stuff happened. And then we become Abraham the second time around. God speaks, we're not sure we're listening. We want to talk back. God blesses, we say, we don't see it. I'm not sure I can trust you. And so what does God do? God throws Abraham out. God says, if you're not going to listen and you're not going to trust, I'm done with you. I never want to speak to you again. You're out of the story. We're going to start over with Abraham 2.0, some other guy, and he's going to be the blessing. Of course, that's not how it goes. In chapter 15, verse 5, God takes Abraham outside. And he says, look up. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. You understand what's remarkable about, remarkable about that? Chapter 12, God spoke, Abraham listened, God blessed, Abraham trusted. Chapter 15, God spoke, Abraham wasn't listening, God blessed, Abraham didn't trust, and God says, none of that actually makes any difference because it's not your story. I said I was going to bless you and that's still going to happen. Why? Because I said it's going to happen. And what's he going to do to Abraham? He's going to give him yet another opportunity to trust in God. And it turns out, throughout the history of Abraham's life, it is not one unmitigated success after another. It's not. Abraham's life has kind of two peaks. 
Chapter 12, when God speaks and he listens, and then that story later in chapter 22, when God speaks and Abraham listens. And in between are lots of moments where Abraham is doing none of that. And yet God, over and over again, grants Abraham opportunities to listen and to trust in the blessings of God. Why? Because that's Abraham's part in the story. God's part is to speak. God's part is to bless. Abraham, your job is to listen, and your job is to trust. And if you do none of those things, God is going to do his part of the story anyway. Because it didn't depend on you. That's why you're supposed to listen and trust. Because the story is about God. So he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is one of the mysterious verses in the Bible. It gets quoted in the New Testament a couple times. We're going to read one of them today. Where, again, Abraham is celebrated for doing what? Absolutely nothing. This is not chapter 22, where he offers his son Isaac. This isn't even chapter 12, where he gets up and moves to a strange country. Abraham stood still outside his tent and did nothing except listen and trust again. And God says, that's it. Well done. That was your part in the story. He believed God, and God says, that's right. That's what you're supposed to be doing today. And the New Testament quotes this verse and celebrates it. Paul, in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Why do we celebrate Abraham? Is it because he was a great guy, did great things? Paul says, no, it's kind of the opposite of that. The whole point of the Abraham story is not that he did great things. It's that God did great things, and Abraham trusted in them. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that verse is in a chapter where Abraham had doubted and failed. Like that makes so much more sense if after he picks up in chapter 12 of Genesis and he moves to a far country, God says, oh, you trusted and you obeyed me, therefore it is counted to you for righteousness. Or in a later chapter, when he takes Isaac up the mountain, God says, now you've trusted in me and I see it and it's counted to you for righteousness. No, it's in between where Abraham has explicitly doubted God and said, doesn't seem like it. And then God says, but it is. Abraham trusts and God says, that's it. And Paul says, that's it. On that messiest of days, Abraham found a way to trust in God again. In Christian faith, the name for that trust is faith. It's the capacity to believe God on days we don't feel like it. Let me say that again, because that's the important part of the story. The capacity to believe God on days we don't feel like it. There are days when it will be easy to listen and to trust, and there are days when it's not. And Abraham, after a slow start, on a day where he didn't, found that he could. And in that silent, simple trust, God says, that is righteousness. That is your role in this story. Paul reminds us that no religious program changes the principle of faith. Abraham lived 
before the law of Moses. Abraham lived before the Sermon on the Mount. Abraham lived before any of the things and great books and wonders that have been written about religion and philosophy through the years were ever put on paper. Before any of those things came to pass, God spoke to Abraham, and he had the same choice every one of us does. Do you trust God or not? And Paul says that's the principle that sits underneath everything else and makes everything else work. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is in the adherence of the law, or for if it is the adherence of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Paul says, Abraham's not our hero because he was especially good at keeping the law of Moses. How do I know that? Moses hadn't been born yet. There is no law. So what did Abraham get right? He listened and he trusted. And even on days when that was hard, and even on days when he failed, he listened and he trusted again. History is God's story, not ours. And Abraham learned that. And because of that, he was able to do his part, which was to listen and to trust. The same now is true for us today. Just like Adam started over here and we had an opposite pole, same way with Abram brings us all the way forward to Christ. In that same chapter of Romans 4, Paul says, that is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, what was delivered up, who was delivered up for trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul says that was the lesson we were supposed to learn. There are going to be hard days, there are going to be easy days, messy days, and tidy days, but in all the days, we have the same role in God's story. And our role is to trust that God has already accomplished his role. When Jesus died on that cross and said, it is finished, it actually was. Do you understand? He wasn't saying, it's finished, except for Ben's part. And eventually, Ben will get here, and he'll fill in all the stuff Jesus didn't get to. God wrote this masterful story. I hope Ben gets it right. That's not how it goes. God did his part without me. God did his part, and it does not depend upon me. And my task in his story is to believe it's his story, to believe that he's done what he said he would do, and that now he's doing it in me. Some days, my job is just to say to Satan, get out of the way, you've already lost. Some days, my job is just to trust. And we put so much in the way of that simple history of faith. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? God, help us to accept with simplicity and humility what your gospel truly is. Help us to listen when you speak. And help us to trust when you bless. Help us to know when we fail that you will speak and you will bless again and again and again and your unwavering faithfulness does not depend on ours. Help us to believe in what great things you have done and are doing and will do in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.